Pickaxe. Hey all, I'm Dr. Alok Kanoja, but the internet knows me as Dr. K. I spent seven years studying to become a monk and then became a psychiatrist. I want to tell you a little bit about my podcast, Healthy Gamer GG where we combine my clinical experience of practicing psychiatry and sprinkle in years of experience as a meditation teacher and sort of focus on spirituality. So on the podcast, we're going to approach very common everyday problems from each of these lenses. And what we really do well is blend science and spirituality to create the most accessible solutions for people for their everyday problems. So check us out at Healthy Gamer GG on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple. Los Angeles, California, 2020. Our adventure begins as five cast and crew members of Through the Realms of Myria, a brand new fantasy movie from the brilliant minds of Plain Entertainment, were accidentally teleported to another world by a mysterious spell that was uttered during the filming of the climactic final scene. Our traveling band of crusaders consists of Sebastian Vivaldi Greensleeves, an emo-at-heart musician struggling to find his way in L.A., and sound guy on set, played by Ryan McManus. Blueberry Sky, the animal-loving actress trying to save the world through art, and now Elf, after her prosthetic ears and teal-blue hair were affixed to her person upon arriving in their new fantasy world, played by Anna Brisbane. Xander Gucci Supreme, the camera guy to the stars and obsessed alien researcher with an affinity for high fashion, played by Nigel Deacon. And Jet the Boulder Chambers, the big burly heartthrob whose love resides with his mom and puppy, Princess Pebbles, played by Vince Perino. After arriving in this new, unknown land alongside their castmate Kingsley, the one who had spoken the mysterious spell during filming, the party feels different, invigorated, powerful, magical, yet strange. Finding Kingsley exhausted and badly injured, the party sought help at a nearby town known as Wooded Holly after hearing of a medical clinic called Aid for All. Wooded Holly, a small but active village, was run by a militia known as the Magistrate, an order that bans the use of powerful magic from mortals across the lands. Sensing Kingsley's residual strong magic, he was abruptly taken by the magistrate, as the rest of the party was put to sleep against their will and hauled off to a jail cell. Blueberry, however, resisted the sleep, but pretended to be out cold as she was carried off with the rest of her friends. Along the way, she peeked through her closed eyelids to see Kingsley, being taken away in shackles to the docks and thrown on a ship as they entered the jailhouse. It took quite a few hours, but the party awoke and were set free from their cell, as the magistrate currently saw none of them as a threat and had nabbed their primary target. The cast and crew debated their options and returned to aid for all to see Nurse Joyce, as she was the only human they had encountered on their travels so far that had shown them any sort of compassion. Nurse Joyce enlightened the party of the Magistrate, and informed them all that they were most certainly not on Earth anymore, but in the realm known as Fendrea. Nurse Joyce's last bit of information regarded a druid known as Yasora, the Speaker of the Crimson Grove, who was once captured by the Magistrate for use of her own powerful magic. 
Yasora would have the most knowledgeable information on where they took Kingsley and perhaps how to get him out of wherever the magistrate is holding him. And so the party sets off to the Crimson Grove, passing by the remnants of the set that were transported with them. As they came to their first nightfall in Fendrea, Xander saw the first of many instances of the word that would haunt him through his journey, Nemora. And Blueberry made their first real friend in Fendrea, an icy blue and white ferret that she deemed Frederick. Sebastian's night was brutally interrupted by a night terror, leaving him with many questions and absolutely no answers. Morning came, and a horn was heard in the distance, guiding the party to the Crimson Grove and towards the largest tree they had ever seen. Hundreds of stories tall with bright pink magenta leaves and surrounded by crimson maples all around. The party made their way through an encampment of teepees leading to the enormous tree and met an elf named Narina who ran the council of the Crimson Grove inside the tree which the druids called Amorpha. Narina informed them all that Yasora was not currently in the grove, however. Yasora was on a journey of her own, but was supposed to return days ago. The cast and crew offered their assistance in finding and helping Yasora, before Narina expressed that this may be the only chance to save the grove, and called a meeting of the council. The council tutored the party in hopes of improving their strengths. Blueberry learned of her animal instincts and honed her ability to transform into different wild beasts. Sebastian was taken to the market to play a few instruments and learn that his music could help his friends in times of need. Xander, unsure of his strengths, was taken to the fields of the grove. After failing numerous tests given to him, Xander turned to the one thing he knew best, his camera, and found out he could do a lot more with it than he originally thought. Finally, Jet was taken to the training grounds and got a few swings off at a target dummy before being brought into Amorpha and having his persistence tested. Jet climbed up hundreds of stairs inside Amorpha and back down. Exhausted and drained, Jet was brought back to the training ground to take one last swing. The love for his mother and friends flowed through him as Jet smited the dummy into the ground with a crack of holy energy and found something worth fighting for. The party, having finished their training with their respective council members, reconvenes in the heart of Amorpha. Narina regales them with the history of the Crimson Grove, of Amorpha and her partner, Ecrosia, and the mission Yasora had departed on days ago. Narina provided the party with some gear, new clothes, and a set of tents to rest in before guiding them to the docks beside Amorpha when the sun rose the next morning. The cast and crew made their way to Ecrosia, ferried by the ever-gracious Captain Jatoba from Pastau, the city under the arch. The once majestic tree of Ecrosia is now being slowly overcome with rot and decay. The party made their way to the top, to find Yasora surrounded by the bodies of cultists as she fought off the rot. She asked the party to dispose of the remaining cultists in Ecrosia, bringing them all to the moral dilemma of lethality in this new world. After thwarting the cultists' plans, the party returned to Yasora, who then flew off to the Crimson Grove ahead of them as they waited for Jatoba to return the next morning. After their long day, 
our four new adventurers discussed the actions they had just taken. Taking lives, the reality of where they are, and what they're doing, it gave them a lot to think about before returning to the Crimson Grove. Now aboard the ship the following morning, Jatoba told them all about himself and his home city of Pastau. Upon arriving back at Amorpha, Narina brought the group to meet with Yasora, who told them everything she knew about the Magistrate and where they could hopefully find Kingsley. Zephyr, a mysterious halfling that helped Yasora escape, would be their next lead. As the Grove set up for their yearly celebration of the return of the seed from Acrosia, Jet went for a run along the shores of Amorpha. His exercise was cut short, however, when he heard a voicemail from his mother coming from the pendant around his neck. This put a real sense of urgency in him as he rushed back to the party to get them going. But lacking the resources to do much in that moment, the party settled in to enjoy the festivities and planned to head out early the next morning to find Zephyr. Jatoba pointed them in the right direction based on what they knew of the halfling, his home city of Pastau. Jatoba sailed the party back to his homeland. Arriving in Pastau and debating the party's options, they decided to check out Arcane Tatau, a local tattoo parlor in the market of Pastau, to see if that would lead to any more details on Zephyr's whereabouts. They were informed that Zephyr was covered head to toe in tattoos, and this might point them in the right direction. Looking for a chance to chat with the tattoo shop owner Jazz, Sebastian got a small tattoo of the rune from his night terror on his wrist, and Jazz told them what he could of Zephyr. The party, wanting to discuss their next move and find a place to rest, head to the Drunken Ox, an inn in the heart of Pastau known for their bowling nights, until they're stopped in their tracks by two dead bodies spotted down an alleyway. A large tabaxi man approached the party as they investigated the bodies. After being identified as allies, Kovar, the tabaxi man of a group known as the Voiceless, told the group that the Ashen Phoenix were responsible, and asked for their help in stopping the people that did this. The party nervously accepts and heads to a jewelry store called Visage in search of a man named Reginald. Between Blueberry's cunning tongue and Xander's stealthy approach, they were able to subdue Reginald and prepare for a weekend at Bernie's style exit. However, the Ashen Phoenix had other plans, stealthily attacking and nearly killing Sebastian. Our adventurers wouldn't be so quickly dispatched though, and turn the fight around, capturing, interrogating, and looting the Ashen Phoenix members before heading back to Kovar. Among the looted goods, was a note written on a wine label from New Beginnings Winery. Blueberry transformed into a warhorse to swiftly sprint through the city, and Jet loaded up an unconscious Reginald onto her back. Riding through the dark city streets towards Haven, the headquarters of the Voiceless, the party met back up with Kovar, where he took the cast and crew to meet Jaria, a large, bronze, dragonborn man. The party was all properly compensated for their work for the Voiceless and assisting them in halting the Ashen Phoenix. Jaria told them to come back to the Voiceless if they were ever in search of more work. Downstairs, Kovar gave the party a bit of information and history regarding Pastau, 
before Blueberry ran off to make friends with the only elves she'd seen in Pastow so far. They were deemed by the party as the Doubtfires, an elderly couple from Valorith who were, I quote, slumming it in Pastow on vacation. Blueberry somehow convinced the Doubtfires to join the party as they ventured towards the Drunken Ox for bowling night. Bowling night, however, did not go nearly as planned. What started off as a slew of strikes quickly fell to gutter balls, whiffs, and single pins, causing the drunken, elf-hating crowd to start an absolute bar riot. Broken bottles, knives, and dart-throwing drunks were all settled down after a few blows, booms, and an intimidating wild shape from Blueberry. During the commotion, Sebastian overheard Mrs. Doubtfire speak about May, saying she cannot believe May chooses to live here amongst the filth. One ransacked bar later, the owner demanded the party assist in the cleanup and pay quadruple if they wanted to stay the night. Having nowhere to go and an angry drunken mob of people outside walking the streets of Pastow, they sadly obliged. Sebastian snuck away during cleaning to ensure the Doubtfires got into their room okay and decided to ask about this May character he had heard of. May is the Doubtfire's daughter. They used to take her to Pastow every year before she finally packed up and moved down here. Her parents have not heard from her since. The cast and crew hit the sheets, emerging level three. Sebastian experienced another night terror, but this time much more in control of himself. Awaking again to the first four notes of Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance, the sound of his alarm. He awoke to the tattoo on his wrist glowing a bright ivory. Sharing a room with Jet, Sebastian freaked seeing the sight of his glowing tattoo and woke Jet to make sure he wasn't still dreaming. Jet, in shock of what he was seeing, told Sebastian not to tell the others until they could find time to look into it more. Xander woke up to find something in his pocket. He reached his hand in and found that it was now stuck snugly in a large winter mitten. As the party entered, each trying a new way to remove this mysterious mitten, they ultimately gave up. Xander, wanting to document the moment, snapped a picture of the mitten with the rest of the party standing behind him. This picture, like all the others he has taken in Fendrea, revealed the word Nemora. However, this one had a small alien-like creature in the picture that abruptly snapped a string on Daisy, Sebastian's guitar, as it appeared in the room with them. It said, friend, in Xander's head, and Xander figured this must be Nemora. Sebastian relayed the information about May, and they all decided to bring the Doubtfires back to the safety of Haven. Departing with the Doubtfires, the party notices Jaria and Kovar, who were enjoying breakfast together. Sitting down to join them, Blueberry brought up the New Beginnings wine label the party had found on the Ashen Phoenix members, and Jaria yelled at her to not speak of such a thing in public. Jaria informed the group that they now knew too much, and he offered them a job that they shouldn't refuse. He told them it involved New Beginnings, and would finally put an end to Pastow's problems. The party was instructed to reconvene at Haven the following night after the rest of the plans were drawn up. The party killed time around the city, 
attempting to hunt down the halfling they've been searching for. They scurried back to the docks in hopes of catching him fishing, but accidentally bought a drug known as Grave Dust instead. Not exactly how they expected the afternoon to go. After a failed search, the party went back to the drunken ox to relax. However, looking out the window of the tavern brought a chilling sight. An enormous fire roaring in the distance. Haven was up in flames. The party gathered their things and rushed towards Haven and met up with Kovar as he tried to gain control of the situation. He begged the group to assist the Voiceless before the Ashen Phoenix could take control of the city amidst the chaos. The Ashen Phoenix had stolen all of the jobs the Voiceless had, and Kovar wanted to make sure the people paying for these jobs were protected. The party was asked to retrieve a journal of poems from the elven city of Valorith, which was now in the hands of Captain Veyrol Worm Wrangler Leakin. Kovar gave the cast and crew specific instructions on where to find a boat and how to sneak past the Valorith guards. The party then met up with their first ever guest adventurer, the wonderful Ginny D, who portrayed Cleo, a tiefling poet who had paid for her mother's journal to be returned. Cleo, shocked to hear that the captain was in possession of this journal, insisted on joining the party as they made their way towards Valorith. Jet entered the currently empty boathouse Kovar mentioned to get two boats for the crew. Instead, he also ended up finding some child-sized waiters and some papers on a desk. Strangely enough, everything here seemed oddly recognizable. With time of the essence and suspicions on the rise that they might have just found the house of Zephyr, they made a mental note and headed to Valorith Island. The cast and crew hid their boats from view, found the hidden smuggler's tunnel, and headed up into Valorith through the basement of a once-abandoned building. A run-in with a new shopkeep later and some quick thinking allowed them to pass through the storefront that had taken residence in the abandoned smuggler's building and into the illustrious city of Valorith. Their first destination? The house of Captain Wormwrangler. The cast and crew discovered this captain to be missing, and his house currently occupied by two members of the Ashen Phoenix ransacking the place, looking for the mother's journal Cleo had desired. A scuffle ensued, with yet another casualty caused by Xander's burning retaliation before the second man gave up, dropping his katana and surrendering. Jet began interrogating the man, while Cleo looked through the nearby journals and notebooks, finding a diary from Captain Veyrell. She discovered the captain was stalking her mother before her passing. After the date of her mother's death, the captain's handwriting became less and less coherent. Some passages even included necromantic research. The writings finished with a poem written in Infernal. Xander grabbed the katana and the party left the man tied up and stranded in the captain's house, next to the charred remains of his friend. Cleo guided the cast and crew to Samaris Manor, Cleo's long-forgotten home in Valorith, to see if the captain happened to be hiding out inside. Entering through the back door, heading into the main living room, the party saw runes drawn on the floor of the library. They quietly snuck up to see Captain Veyrol, clearly not in his right mind, looking less and less elven, nearing a completely demonic state. The captain was hunched over Cleo's father, 
as Cleo ran in, causing the captain to laugh uncontrollably from a poetic jab. The party rushed in to untie Malvis, Cleo's estranged father, before the captain regained his composure and began his assault on the party. Blueberry turned into a fierce white lioness and kept the captain busy as the rest of the party freed Malvis from his restraints. An epic and climactic fight ended with Cleo having some final words to say to the captain, ending him with a harsh limerick. The captain fell backwards and Cleo spit on his corpse. Cleo and Malvis had a rocky start to their reunion, but it quickly turned heartfelt and they chose to be in each other's lives again. They decided to get kicked out of Valorith together after a night of rest at a local inn. The cast and crew all joined together at the Lingering Flame after retrieving the journal from the captain's possession and gathered round for a nice warm meal together. Cleo recited a heartfelt poem as her final goodbye, and the party left Valorith in the morning after a peaceful night's rest. The party began rowing back to Pastau before a large dragon was seen in the distance to the northwest. Its one wing seemed maimed and was moving entire clouds with the gusts of its flight. A radiating profile of a dragon head made of light appeared on Jet's pendant before slowly fading. Sometime later, the party returned to the boathouse and dropped off their borrowed boats. Jet, dragging the boats back to their designated places, met a halfling man who called himself Barrett. The party quickly deduced that this was indeed Zephyr, brought up Yasora and earned his trust before asking for Zephyr's help. The prison break was agreed upon, but for one hefty price, 750 gold. The cast and crew handed over 250 gold as a down payment, so Zephyr could begin planning the prison break but he is still expecting the rest before going on such a dangerous mission. Realizing they only knew one way to make money in this town, they all decided to head back to Haven to speak with Kovar about any extra jobs and to inform him that they have completed the work for Cleo. Strolling through the market, the party witnessed a tabaxi woman speaking to a gathered crowd of people, trying to persuade them to give their allegiance to the Ashen Phoenix claiming they were the ones that were truly trying to help the people of Pastau. Finally arriving back at Haven, the party was face to face with a minotaur and discovered that Kovar was killed by the Ashen Phoenix in the middle of the night. The only one left to speak with was Jaria. He informed the party that he could not pay them well for their compensation of Cleo's job like they were promised, but if they completed yet another job, they would become wildly rich. Jaria ordered the party to break into New Beginning's winery and kill the leader of the Ashen Phoenix. They had no choice but to agree. The cast and crew sat in the middle of Pastau as they planned their entry into New Beginnings, finally settling on becoming union members that were there to assess the property. Upon entering, they met a woman manning the counter and took her all over the winery while inspecting what they could. Sebastian eventually took her into the basement to distract her, while the rest of the group discovered a crystalline sculpture of a coiled snake on the upper floor. They worked together to solve their first puzzle, revealing the secret entrance to the Ashen Phoenix hideout. 
A few mistakes later, resulting in a fight with the woman, ended with her being locked in the basement of the winery, while her only exit was blocked by a heavy wine barrel set on top of the hatch by Jet. They headed down the newly discovered passage to a sewer, fought their way through the gates and guards, and came upon their final room of the headquarters. This room was inhabited by an elven woman, as well as Dugrin, the man the party had tied up and left stranded in Valorith, while Xander wielded his stolen katana. The elven woman offered peace, prosperity, and gold. The woman explained the wrongdoings of the voiceless, and how they are truly the ones bringing down the glory that Pastau had fought so hard to earn. Tense negotiations commenced, and the cast and crew all decided that working with the Ashen Phoenix would bring peace to the people of Pastau. The party accepted the woman's offer, a full-on assault of the voiceless, only to find that this mysterious elven woman they had been coercing with was the Doubtfire's long-lost daughter, May. The party spoke with May regarding her parents before talking battle strategy with another member of the Ashen Phoenix. Gathering necessary supplies and provisions, they walked side by side with the Ashen Phoenix towards Haven. May and the party charged the stairs, while the Ashen Phoenix assassins from the rooftops began to take out the guards in their path. May, with a flurry of sword swings, brought the Minotaur down, and Blueberry, as a hyena, fueled with adrenaline and ferocity, ripped out the throat of Jaria and his nearby bodyguards. May, exhausted and exasperated, approached the edge of the stairs leading to Haven to find a crowd looming below. May spoke in front of the people of Pastau, asking for their support. A chant of agreement started amongst the people, and their new leader was born. Blueberry, now back in her normal state of being, broke down after killing another human being for the first time due to her hyena form's animalistic nature. Consoled by Jet, ensuring her it was what needed to be done to get everyone back home, they rejoined the group and headed back to the Ashen Phoenix headquarters to claim their reward. Money in hand, the crew made their way to speak with Zephyr. Zephyr provided them with two planned options regarding the prison break, which the party then decided on sneaking into and out of the prison rather than getting captured willingly. Plan set in motion, the party left Pastau under a bright new symbol of hope, hopped in their oxen-drawn cart provided by Zephyr, and headed northward towards the sentinel city of Elvarath. Days upon days of travel, passing plains, hills, and a forest, finally ended with a trip up into the mountains. The party chatted along the way about their acquired magic, whether this was all a dream, and what people back home think might have happened to them. Elvarath slowly became visible through the mountains, as did the Great Lift as it climbed up the steep cliffs. The Great Lift was how Elvarath received its necessary supplies and traded goods all the way up in the mountains, without traders having to make a multiple-day trip up the snowy path to the city. Zephyr needed to make one final stop along the way to purchase some important goods for the party's break-in. A slight detour off the road led to a clearing where Zephyr pulled a flower out of the ground, revealing a trap door that led into Fable's fixations. 
After the party's shopping spree, Zephyr discussed the plan once more. Get in, get down to the prison yard, find a large arcane battery, blow up the magic wall keeping the prisoners captive, and grab Kingsley. Finally, head to the Great Lift, shoot off a fire signal, and ride the Great Lift down the mountains to safety. Walking down the streets of Elvarath, the party gave each other code names as Zephyr brought them down into the city's courtyard and pointed out which building they needed to break into. Sebastian found that the house was occupied by a magistrate guard and decided to coax him into heading out early for his shift. Xander picked the lock to the now empty house and the party started silently breaking a hole through the basement floor into the prison's cave system. After incapacitating two guards at the entrance to the prison yard, a game of charades within the party's portable silence spell set their plans in motion. The plan to shoot down the battery using a ballista worked perfectly, until the ballista shot clattered against the ceiling and alerted the guards, starting a hectic fight and forcing Sebastian to make his first kill. As the fight finished, battery in hand, the party moved on to the cell block to find Kingsley. Jet gave his friend a hearty handshake as the cell door creaked open. Kingsley grabbed a book from his end table, while Sebastian and Xander debated starting a prison riot and unleashing a frost giant on the rest of the prison, which they ultimately decided against. The party headed up to the guards' quarters to dispose of the battery and take down the magical barrier keeping the prisoners inside. Sebastian's silver-tongued trickery convinced the guards to leave, but the loud arcane pops of the battery exploding in the furnace attracted the attention of more guards armed with arcane pistols. As the party fought off the guards, they made a run for the exit. Met with resistance the entire way, the party came dangerously close to losing both Jet and Xander. But, with Blueberry's quick thinking, magic items from Fables, and her cunning magic, as well as some healing from Sebastian and Jet, the party was able to escape through the prison gates. Breaking free through the exit, all that stood in their way was a 500-foot dash to the lift. Under a flurry of crossbow bolts, being chased by numerous guards, the party ran for their lives. A young woman dressed in black robes, a large black cat with piercing eyes and only three legs crawling across her shoulders, donned lavender hair and a red magistrate choker, summoned an ice storm in front of the party. The storm slowed our adventurers down but didn't stop them. A few slips and slides and arrows to the legs later, the party makes it to the lift to start their final descent to freedom. The trip down the mountain was long and boring, but allowed the party some time to catch their breath and chat with Kingsley. Kingsley told the party about his experiences, what he'd been taught both about magic and about the history of Fendrea. Kingsley was now clearly wary of magic. When they reached the bottom, Xander sweet-talked the guards and the party was able to leave peacefully. Arriving at a crossroads, Zephyr said his goodbyes and the cast and crew, with Kingsley in tow, decided to head to Matthias's University of Modern Magic in the hopes of finding a hot rebel teacher who doesn't play by the rules that could help them get home. Being on the run, they dip into Faramore before heading to the university for some much-needed hair, makeup, and wardrobe changes. 
emerging with fresh looks followed by a small shopping spree, the party is ready to visit Matthias's university and see what possibilities lie behind its walls. Upon entering Matthias's university, the party is greeted by none other than Matthias himself, master wizard and founder of the school. The party, interested in enrolling in order to find the aforementioned rebel hot teacher, is tested by Matthias on their magical abilities. Xander, Sebastian, and Blueberry pull off some trickery to help Kingsley pass the tests, and the party is accepted into the university. However, under Matthias's persistent interrogation, he learns of the party's distaste of the magistrate, and then of their history with the organization. His interests peaked, Matthias's tone changes from distrust to excitement as he invites the party into a secret group inside the university. Now knowing that Kingsley's magic is being suppressed by the magistrate's vaccination, Matthias tells the party about the only way they can remedy it. A monstrosity known as the Nathrix. Join us as the cast and crew delve into their newest arc, studying and hunting this wretched mythical creature known as the Nathrix. As they discover its purpose in helping Kingsley and finding their way back to the world they once called home.